Lexi, we we said this was a fish, but it looks like it has a blowhole. So I just can I make a modification? It's a whale, isn't it? Well, now it's a fish, right? The blowhole's off. All right. I just needed it to be a fish for this thing to work, okay? All right, thanks. I'll make sure you get all your pieces back. I already broke it twice. Uh before we uh before we get into this, Lexi, we're gonna pull it into play at the very end, okay? All right. One of my uh favorite uh Christmas traditions is to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas. It's an old illustration that's already tried and true for many preachers to talk about uh the Charlie Brown Christmas and the moment, you know, Charlie's trying to discover what's the true meaning of Christmas, and we've watched it enough times. We know that eventually we realize uh, when Linus comes on stage and he reads the story of Luke 2 uh, that we discover the true meaning of Christmas. And it's in the moment that uh, Linus, who always has a hold on his blanket, his security blanket, to not fear, when he says the words, fear not, He lets down the blanket, and it's this sort of special moment to the keen eye to see that he is giving his trust into the Lord, and it's something that we should all do. Now, that's a tried and true certain illustration, and and that is a good setup for what I want to share with us today. I want to talk to us about fear and love. We we live in a world that seems uh, to overrun in fear, uh, particularly in this season of life of ours. But then also, I think that there is a response, and that Christmas gives us the hope of life and freedom and love in Christ. And so this morning, I would like for us to please turn our Bibles uh, to a passage of Scripture that offers us hope and encouragement today, and it comes from 1 John chapter 4. We've studied the book of uh, 1 John and its relationship to the Gospel of John, and also Uh, the book of Revelation, and we've looked at Christmas is the gift of life, Christmas is the gift of light, and this morning I want to share with us that I believe John also sees Christmas as the gift of love, that in the arrival of Christ, he saw, in the arrival of Christ, he saw a light in the midst of darkness, he also articulates over and over again throughout, um, uh, throughout his writings that there is eternal life in Christ, that God sent His Son that we would have eternal life. And I believe John also sees Jesus coming into the world, God entering into the world as the gift of love. That all comes uh, to a a pretty nice uh, picture uh, as we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. For Christmas, he said, he says, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit, 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Of particular importance for us this morning is that God is driving out fear with his perfect love. When I think about fear, when I think about the uh, challenges that are in front of me when I am faced with my own fears, I realize a couple of things about fear. We teach our children fear. We do this to protect them and preserve them. We teach them a healthy fear of the stove. We teach a fear of doing wrong or there is punishment. Well, this carries on into our life and everyday things, and we see it infiltrating into our lives, and suddenly our fear can take on uh, a sort of life of its own. And there are two things that happen, uh, and in, uh, in, in, an important thing is that it's about self-preservation. Fear is about keeping yourself safe. Uh, you know, you don't go too far over the edge, lest you fall and, and take a, a great tumble, you know. You, don't, you, you keep a healthy fear of, of heights. Um, my, uh, my sense is that my fear is completely rational and reasonable compared to your fears. When I hear other people's fears, I think, you're crazy. But when I think about my fears, like my fear of snakes and thinking that all snakes are going to kill me and they're probably going to eat my family alive, that's a perfectly rational fear. Your fears don't make any sense to me, but to the bearer of the fear, they make perfect sense. And what, what we have seen What we have seen is a lot of judgment about what others fear and what you fear. And what we see as self-preservation, we also see as selfishness and isolation. And so what has happened in the climate of fear is, is what, what we have created is a whole collective group of silos where all of us are looking to preserve our own lives and trying to navigate our life as we see fit, driven by fear. And so the common response to fear is to have faith. The common response to fear is to say, well, you need to grow in your faith. That if you have this fear, you are obviously not trusting in God. And I think John is telling us something different. How does John say the fear is driven out of the world? It's through the love of God. It's through the incarnational love of God through Christ Jesus that the perfect love drives out all fear. And when I think about fear, uh, I want to go back to something I did uh, uh, three years ago. I'm sure you remember the sermon, because you remember all my sermons. Uh, But I looked at 1 Corinthians 13, 
and I looked at love. And I was starting to think about the opposite of love is fear. And so then I want to plug in fear into 1 Corinthians 13. I don't, God didn't kill me the first time I did it, so I'm going to try and, uh, you know, modify Scripture again. Again, not recommended, but for our purposes this morning, if you would look at the description of love, only we're going to look at it with a description of fear. We know the passage, 1 Corinthians 13, we've been to a wedding. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Excuse me, sorry. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. But if we look at it in the light of fear, fear is impatient, fear is not kind, fear envies, fear boasts, fear is proud. Fear is the opposite of patience. Uh, Patience is long-suffering. It's the endurance of suffering. Fear is keeping ourselves from any suffering whatsoever. You know, keep ourselves from danger or anything that could hurt us. Where love is kind, fear is unkind. Fear uh, has in mind my own personal needs over the needs of others. Fear is filled with envy. It looks at what others have, it looks at what control they have, it looks at what security has, and it fills us with envy. It says, I wish that I had what they had. I wish I had the peace that they had. Fear builds envy. Fear dishonors others. It is self-seeking. It is self-seeking and it's easily angered. When I reread what I wrote uh, three years ago in this passage, talked about fear leading to anger, and I had a moment with me and my computer and Jesus, and I realized just how much anger has been in my heart because of fear. Just how angry I could be at people for not thinking the way I think, because I'm right and you're wrong, and I just want you to know it. Have you felt more anger? You're probably a better person than me, but... Friends, it dishonors others and it honors, it honors self. I'm most important. That's what fear says. It's easily angered and it keeps records of wrongs. If I can remember all of the things you did to hurt me, then that can justify the fears that I have. And if I can keep track of all the fears and remember all the things who hurt me, all the people who hurt me, and all of the things that could potentially hurt me, so long as we keep keeping track of the records of wrongs, we will always have fear leading us to isolation, anger, and bitterness, and loneliness. So long as we keep keeping the records, we will have a life of judgment and isolation. Love does not delight in evil, but fear certainly does. And you think, how does fear delight in evil? Well, when there is fear... You delight, not in the sense of pleasure, but you delight in the sense of it keeps your attention. How much news have you watched this year? Maybe a little more. I watched zero. I went from zero to like, you know, too much in no time. But it draws your attention. 
Love, it doesn't delight in evil, but fear certainly does. Love rejoices with the truth. Well, what does fear do but remind us of all of the lives and all, all of the lies and all of the uncertainty and all the things that have gone wrong? Where love rejoices with the truth, fear rejects it. And it tells us over and over again that Christ isn't Lord and that Christ isn't risen and that Christ isn't King. And so we need to rejoice in the truth that Jesus truly is. But fear draws us away. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Well, friends, fear, it doesn't protect us, it only leads us away from real hope and real change and real lasting perseverance. Love never fails. And the only hope we have is that fear does. Fear does fail when it's driven out by the perfect love and incarnational love of Christ. And the story of Christmas is the story of light coming in the darkness. It's the story of the eternal one coming to give us eternal life. And it's the story of the incarnational love of God. It's God in flesh, not some abstract idea of love, not something you read about in books or on watch on movies or fantasize about not some abstract idea about who God is and what he could potentially be but God in flesh Emmanuel with us incarnational love who lays down his life for you for me for everyone to have a life in him incarnational love God in flesh Emmanuel with us this is how he drives out fear with the perfect love of Christ we are told that God is love, and that God is patient, that God is kind, that He keeps no records of wrongs. As Psalm 103 says, that He takes our sins and He casts them as far as the east is from the west. This is the God that we have. That God is love, and God is patient, God is kind, that God never fails, that God loves you. So we no longer live a life crippled by fear and the brokenness. Today, we can say to ourselves, Christ our Lord is born, that He is alive, He is the Savior of the world. I know that you came to church the week before Christmas, and so you want to hear about the shepherds, and you want to hear about the sheep, and you want to hear about the angels proclaiming, and you want to hear about the birth of our Savior. So I'll give you that. I'll give you that moment to remind ourselves. When lioness lays a blanket down that we have nothing to fear. Because unto us on this day a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. He's the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah, our Lord. That's the angel's proclamation and that's the hope that we have today. Herod, upon hearing of this news, that a king, a Savior was coming, he rejects it with all hatred and all fear possible. And we see him in absolute paranoia and fear. We see him go to great lengths to keep a king from being born. From a king from taking his throne. And we see a great picture of, uh, of what God is doing and what actually Megan alluded to before what child is this. The way the Kings of the world operate as like Herod with power and brute force. 
He operates in fear, and the way God operates is in love and in compassion and humility. Nothing is in greater contrast than King Herod and King Jesus. One rules with brute force, another comes as an infant child at the mercy of human hands. God says, this is how I drive out fear. I will drive out fear by becoming this most innocent and humble and meek child. I'll be born in a manger. Far off, not in the pageantry of Jerusalem, but in the small town of Bethlehem. I will come and I will change the world and I will drive out fear with the perfect love of a small child who will, raise, uh, who will be raised to be a king who will change the world and forgive them of their sins. Lexi, you brought the perfect thing. You all wanted me to do Jonah. I actually have a little thing about Jonah that actually fits. But there's a special moment at the end of John's Gospel. It's a moment that we're all too familiar with. You know when Peter denies Jesus three times? I wonder how much fear had to play into that. so he denied him. You know, I've denied him too. And I know you have as well. But there's a special moment, Lexi, that this reminds me of. Jesus is resurrected. He's already shown himself a few different times. And they're out, the disciples are out on a boat. And they're fishing. They've caught nothing. So they throw the net out on the other side and they throw it out and there is this catch of fish that is so large they can't even handle it. That's the reason why I had to you know, pop the blowhole off. We needed fish. Thank you, Lexi. And so Jesus, they knew it was Jesus. It was like the only explanation is that the Savior's back with us. Our Messiah is with us again. Peter, he gets out of the boat, he goes to Jesus, he embraces him, and he loves him, and they sit around a campfire, and they enjoy a catch of fish, and they break bread together. Jesus asks him a question. Jesus asks the question to drive out fear in Peter and remind him just how much he's loved. He says to Peter, do you love me? Three times he responds, yes, I love you. It's told of John, the Apostle John, that I believe wrote the Gospels, uh, the Gospel John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. He was a disciple that lived into old age. Everyone else died a, uh, a terrible death, and John lived to be uh, an old man to the point where he was crippled. And he would be laid out on a stretcher, essentially paralyzed, and they would bring him into church gatherings. And having this sort of wealth of wisdom being carried into uh, the sanctuary of sorts or into the gatherings, people would ask John questions. 
What do you think about or what should we do? And they would present church problems to him. And this is what John would say. To every church problem that was proposed, John had one answer. It was to love one another. It's to love one another. You know, I, I love the Charlie Brown story. I learned something new on a Facebook post, so you know I had to make sure it was true, and it's true. Uh, Lioness, he picks his blanket back up. And it's kind of like, well, did he go back to fearing? Did he go back to the same things that we always seem to go back to and all of the thing, and thinking about all the things that could go wrong and all the things that we're afraid of and all the things that have broken us? Did he start keeping track of all the records of wrongs again? Did he go back into a life of fear? He picks up his blanket. Why does Linus pick up his blanket? He puts it down again. He puts it down at this special moment. You know how Charlie Brown picks out his Christmas tree, right? And he doesn't get the bright, flashy one. He gets the one that's sad and awfully humble. The Christmas tree, you know, in cartoon fashion, knows that it's a pretty weak and wimpy tree. It's drooped over and it's seemingly sad. It's characterized the emotion of sadness or brokenness. It knows something's wrong in itself. The next time Linus puts down his blanket, he wraps it around the tree. It props itself up. It straightens itself out and they adorn it with decoration. And Linus says, maybe it just needs a little love. I got the pleasure to be the PE gym teacher for a few days. I noticed this terrible tendency among a few of the different classes. These kids were brutal to each other. The Donner party was nicer to each other. I'm glad you guys got that joke. It was a joke. All right. They were terrible to each other. And I was just like, I got to do something about this. And uh, so I came up with a game. Came up with a game called Kindness Tag. When you tag someone, I had to then instruct them, you know, not to tag each other too hard because, you know, they, that would become a fight as well. But when you tag someone, they were frozen. And the only way to thaw them out was to have other classmates look them in the eye, say their name, and say something kind about them. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to write a book about it. Because the kids changed. And I'm telling you, the message of the Gospel is the world just needs love. It needs to know that you are loved. It needs to know that in the brokenness and the despair and all of the fears of all those things that it has told you over and over again that you're not good enough, that there is something wrong with you, that you have fallen short, that you are not worth anything, Everything these kids have repeated back and forth to one another, it changed the moment they learned that there was something good about themselves. And I want to say to you, there's something good about you. Something so good that God looked into a broken world and He said, I love you. 
And God knows that this world needs a little bit of love. And so the challenge then is to simply go and be that love in the world. Go and be love. Paul says it better than I can, as always. He gives us the challenge in Romans. In Romans 12, he tells us just what we need to do. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning uh, coals. You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love must be sincere. And just as John being carted into the church, the same problems that we face today have the same solution. What do we do in the face of fear? of division, of brokenness, of hurt, of suffering, of grief? What do we do with all that's presented to us and all the dangers and all the hurt and all the suffering? What do we do? John's response echoes to us today. Love one another. Love one another. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for sending Your Son. The Gospel story is the Gospel of love hope, of salvation, of mercy, of grace, of us being found welcomed into your kingdom. God, I I thank you for Lexi bringing the perfect illustration. And in our prayer, we do remember Jonah, who ran from you because he knew your heart. He knew that you would forgive. He knew that you would be a God of compassion. That you would forgive the Ninevites for what they've done. And so we come before you knowing that you will forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for wandering from you. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for those that we've hurt. Lord, lead us to forgive those that have hurt us. God, we don't want to keep records of wrongs anymore. We don't want to keep anything that would lead us to isolation and self-preservation. Lord, we empty our hearts to You. We know that You love us. And we thank You for Christmas. We have the gift of life, the gift of light, and the gift of love in Your Son, Jesus. 
Let's not forget it today. Let's not forget it in the year ahead. To love one another. Lord, lead us to you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand in response.